The Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. Turn this up. This is going to be crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm Dave Acosta. Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. G'day, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from my town. I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. And Lucas Fickendee. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. This is the Mojo Radio Show. Or I'll be coming to see you. Then we ask them the big questions. Oh, man, this is such a great question. You've actually landed right on the mark. That's a, another really good question. It's great talking to some clever dudes, frankly. I've gone probably a little bit more in-depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book. I've done, like, 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this. <laughs> oh, wow. And sometimes we talk about darts. There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favourite sport is darts. How athletic is that? I think it's uh, interesting that it's your favourite, but I won't be judgmental. (laughs) Look, it's the only sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So you try throwing half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go, Uh, my friend. But we hope you will. Welcome. I got my book. To the Mojo Radio Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. If you are new to our little program, welcome aboard the bus, the big red bus that we've come to know as the Mojo Radio Show. We really appreciate you hitting the download button. Thank you for joining us on the show. If you are a regular, then you know exactly what you're in for. And it's fair to say that you, the regular listener, are the lifeblood of the show. And we appreciate you coming back week after week because that makes it all worthwhile. In fact, a publicist for a show wrote to me recently. We were talking about getting a guest on from the States. Hello, our friends in the USA. And they said, where are you heard? And when I looked up on the map, the hosting map on the platform we use to host, we're in 78 countries. Which oh, did you count? Did you? Yeah, right. I, I, I did. I find it fascinating. And this, this, the, the guy wrote back and went, we love global exclamation mark. I just find it fascinating that we're mm. in 78 countries and some really obscure places that people are downloading the show. And this is all legit. But I think it just shows the power of the platform of podcasting, uh, which is why probably people like business social media guru Gary Vaynerchuk is so bullish about the pod. Mm. So there you go. Around the world, we're being heard. If, you, if you're new to the show, welcome. Glad you're here. Glad you're on board with us. To start the show off, I was going to ask AP for a remarkable fact, but the fact that he's awake <laughs> and has made it to the studio, I think that in itself is quite remarkable. AP, welcome. Thank you, Bertie. Nice to be here, chaps. I'll tell you another remarkable fact that AP's too shy to tell you. He's running for councillor of his local oh, in, in his local electorate. Yeah, kidding me? Absolutely. Uh, how did we get on board, Mayor Peters? That's right. <laughs> the MP, Mayor Peters, the MP. <laughs> My God, if if I was if I was had a microphone to tell some of the stories I could tell about MPs early days in radio, he would not be on the platform. Yeah. Well, you know, the first motion he'll pass once he's in council is that at each council meeting, there must be at least three bottles of red wine present. Oh, steady on, Robbo. <laughs> and the second thing he'll pass is the early opener. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, this could be true, Bertie. <laughs> we shall never close. Uh, 
Hello, Lola. Question, Lola. How is the upgrade that Robbo has installed recently? Software version 2.3.0 is working perfectly, thank you. She's getting a bit sassy in her old age, like young Lola, isn't she? In her old age, young Lola. Yeah, There's that's a dichotomy right. of terms. Okay, yeah. we're, we are one... Co- Lola, could you make an espresso coffee for my, my portly friend here, please? I don't make coffee. Lots of luck with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> could I have a latte with almond milk, decaf? In a shot glass. Do it yourself, fat boy. Robbo's Remarkable Facts. It's about time. Let's go. All right, let's go quickly around the grounds. Remarkable fact. Shoot. Two quick ones. Uh, you're right-handed, correct? Yes. No, well, I'm right-hand to right, left-hand with any sport involving oh, two hands. Mate, you need to be a little bit careful. Did you know that on average, around 2,500 left-handed people are killed using right-hand equipment every year? That puts me right in a statistical <laughs> Isn't that area. incredible? In dangers. I'm in the danger zone. I'm with Tom Cruise. Hey, hey Maverick. Hey. Yeah, that's right. Oh, good. Goose is in the air. He's left-handed. <laughs> and he died. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and here's another one that I just liked. I thought this was nice. What do bulletproof vests, fire escapes, windshield wipers and laser printers all have in common? Mm. Gotcha. Don't know what. They're all invented by women. Practical inventions. There you go. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hot shot. Well, I've got a pop quiz for you. Pop. In 2019, Disney Studios broke the record for the highest grossing year for a studio ever. Which studio did it pass to become number one? Uh, let's go Universal. See, a trick question. It was their own record. They broke their own record. Oh, really? Nah, oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. Smart hey, pants. now here's one that I find absolutely fascinating. This is a what were they thinking? You mm-hmm. think it. But how often do you say it? What were they thinking? The practice of eating insects has a name. Do you know what the name is? Uh, no, I don't. Entomophagy. Oh, wow. Okay. Earlier in our history of the show, we had a good mate of ours from Grillo Protein on the show. Mm-hmm. Still use these products. Yes. And the products are made up of, pop quiz? Crickets. Crickets. So... In the last couple of years, there's been this huge hive of activity in the edible insect industry. You can get uh, crickets, mealworms, black soldier flies, grasshoppers, ants, silkworms, cicadas. So pretty much anything that crawls, they're now using as an amazing source of protein. In protein bars, it's being used in pastas, chips, hamburgers, meal balls. They're even serving it across America in baseball stadiums. Right. It goes in my smoothie every morning. So there you go. And the end you're contributing to, the insect protein market in the States is projected to be worth $8 billion by wow. 2030. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So there are more than 1,900 known edible insects on the earth. So this is becoming a really, one would think, and as we have discussed on the show, a very sustainable form of food and protein because it's one of the highest protein level foods you can find. However, here's the, what were they thinking? Oh no. There is a moral problem arising. There are people who are now saying insects may experience pain and negative emotional states, much (laughs) as a cow or a pig will. So now we can accept protesters breaking into cricket farms to protest because, you know, Every morning when you have your smoothie, Robbo, you need to think about 
crickets have feelings too. Imagine the pain they went through. I mean, where are we going for God's sakes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a thing called a food chain which has existed since time immortal. (laughs) And I kind of believe that we may well be close to the top of that. So perhaps that's just what it is. I don't know. I could be wrong. The Mojo Radio Show. Our guest this week basically was burnt out. Then he, like a lot of other people across the planet, read a book by Tim Ferriss called The 4-Hour Workweek, and he decided to do it. He decided to make a change. So he decided to essentially, as the book talks about, design a life that worked for him rather than working for a life. So Rob Spareboom was an international financial specialist in Amsterdam, and he worked with a few different banks. And like many executives today, he burnt himself out. Now, with his girlfriend, Kim, he quit, he moved countries, and he set up an online business and adopted the four-hour workweek principles. See, he did this to control his health, his wellness, how he could use his own time to enjoy life by his own design. Today, he helps people change the beliefs that are holding them back so they can find the courage to make that step. It's a dream shared by many people. However, what you'll find in this interview is it's not that easy. It has its own challenges. Even to this day, Rob deals with the dark side of an idyllic lifestyle, which is posted by many and proposed by many. But this is a very interesting conversation to look at the light and shade by somebody who's currently in the middle of it. So Rob, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thanks for having me. When when people meet you or walk up to you for the first time today and ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? I would say that currently I help other people with my coaching. You were living in Amsterdam and you had a corporate gig and then you used the term burnout a lot in your backstory. Did you set up a business to run, like an online business to run parallel to what you're doing in the corporate world, or did you actually quit? I was learning my own, or I was using my own spiritual insights or trainings that I followed in order to create uh, content, which was completely free uh, for the readers, and which just gave universal advice about life or communication skills or how to handle or treat people and look at your values. So basically, it was a sort of starting of, of, of coaching, but then on a very general level. And um, eventually, that led to websites that on the best day, I think we had more than 150,000 visitors worldwide. And on normal days, it would be about fifteen to 20,000 visitors daily. And just then, the advertisements incomes would be more than enough to pay two salaries. And that was completely automated. So when you were doing all this, Rob, and you you finally had enough momentum to leave the corporate world in Amsterdam and move to the beautiful Tenerife. What was the greatest fear? If you think back now, what was the greatest fear that went through you and your your partner at that time? Yeah. Well, of course, there was still this fear like, okay, I, I had a very successful corporate career. So it's like, okay, what am I doing? I mean, when I told people that I became an entrepreneur and especially with what I was doing that a lot of people thought I, I went crazy. I was going, uh, um, so it was still like, is this the right way to go? 
where, where will this end? And um, another thing, like relationships, okay, we're going to live, it's going to be a five-hour flight. Will we still see our friends, our family? How will that work out? Those were the biggest fears. So you have made a decision to go. You've faced your greatest fears. What's the lifestyle you have gone to today? It's personal. So for me, this works. But how it looks like to me currently is that um, in the mornings, I wake up, I have time, uh, I, I spend time with my son, who's now almost free, uh, for about one hour. Then I just take him to the kindergarten uh, where he is uh, until noon. So that's basically four hours. And I use that time to work. So I coach people online by Skype and uh, video conferences. And of course, uh, I do some indirect work around that. And then basically in the afternoons, I have again time free to either spend with my son. And sometimes my girlfriend does this. We always have lunch together. So we take a lot of time uh, with the family. Um, we like nature, so I like kite surfing, which is which can be done here. And next to that, we receive a lot of guests, which can be friends, but also clients that come for one week or training. So basically, that fills up 14 to 15 weeks of the year as well. But we have a very flexible life. Like two years ago, we were visiting your neighbors, New Zealand, for about three months. Last year, we were three years, uh, three months in uh, Central America. So yeah. Always trying something new. People would hear this, Rob, and go, oh, well, that's all fine, but I'd need a million dollars to do that. Did you find your relationship to money had to change when you moved from the corporate world into being an entrepreneur and designing this lifestyle for you and your partner? Great question, man. Uh, That's good. Yeah, no, because that's the thing. People always think that they need so much money for that. And I earn way, way, way less than I used before, uh, used to do before. But actually, I am able to do much more with the lesser money that I have. And of course, there's some some smart things. I mean, we rent out our apartments in Amsterdam that we bought. This pays the whole house that we live in here, which is actually three times bigger than we had in Amsterdam. <laughs> that means we live for free. Um, and the cost of living here is very low. And if you travel in a in an economic way, it doesn't have to be so so expensive. So for instance, like when we were traveling in Asia, I was actually earning more money or, or saving more money than uh, when I was living in Amsterdam because Asia is just more cheap than Amsterdam. It's interesting though when you, when you track back through your past, Rob, because in the early days you wrote, we have worried quite a bit about money and the perceived security mm-hmm that it would bring early mm-hmm. in the process. Was that, was that yeah. in amongst leaving friends and so on, was that, it must have been one of the big fears you had and the big insecurities you had because even, you've even written about the fact that it, it kept you awake at night and you had sleepless nights worrying about money and where the next dollar would come from. And now you yeah. coach people in the process of finding and designing the life they desire. How do you now reconcile that? Because... I could imagine that being something that would, even though the lifestyle design, yes, it's idyllic, yes, the photos look great, but at the core of it, even you found it kept you awake at night and you would have sleepless nights worrying. How do you coach people through reconciling that now? Well, I can just share my experience of or of, that, uh, of other people. Like I think in your last show you had actually uh, 
Nanavati, I think it was his name, yep. the beauty yep. in our adversity. Akshay, yep, yep, Akshay, yep. Yeah, Akshay. You know, the whole thing is, I mean, we all want a perfect life, but there will always be pain in our life. <laughs> as simple as that. So, so it's, again, I totally agree with him. You, you sort of have to embrace your pain or, or uh, learn how to handle your pain or your fears um, in order to arrive where you want to want to end up eventually. So sometimes you have to take a risk. Um, and for that reason, it's so important. Okay, where would I like to end up? And is it worth taking the, taking in this pain? But it's also good to look at those fears and because sometimes, okay, what is the fear? Is it um, is the fear true? For instance, in my, in my case, from a rational perspective, I knew like, okay, there are still savings, there's, there's, there's no debt, so it's okay. Uh, I can still carry on, although I'm, I do have my fears, but I also kept in mind, okay, but eventually I can now end up in that situation. And that's basically always adjusting um, and, and keeping that larger vision um, in your mind. You know, it's such an interesting point, Rob, because when we talk with, you mentioned Akshay on the show, and he's pulling mm. sleds 190 pounds across the second biggest ice cap in the world, and he is a Marine, U.S. Marine, walking in front he's of- He's a beast, yeah. Yeah, you know, looking, searching for IEDs. I mean, he is, he's completely putting himself into a place where he faces demons. Yet what you've raised is a really interesting point because the demons are there they just show themselves in a different way because you wrote, actually, you said, today was a relatively dark place. This morning I felt restless, a feeling that I don't like because it indicates that I'm stressed and stress is something I wish to avoid. This, of course, only increases the feeling of restlessness. My standard reaction to stress is to attack it head on. Stress caused by your financials. After a night of less sleep, my demons crept in through the back door. And this happens in my mind as a consequence. So it's, it's interesting you raise that because the demons can occur in all different ways. But I think a lot of times we struggle to take what somebody like an Akshay talks about and then apply the process to financials or the stress of having to make a speech at a wedding or having a difficult conversation. How do you, in that situation where you are coaching somebody about making a lifestyle change, how do you, based on your experiences, encourage them to face the demons that you wrote about here? Basically, I call coaching, you've got two parts. The first is a sort of therapy. So let's dig in. What, what is this fear? Why is, uh, why, why is it fearful to you? So, so a deeper level, and normally people then get a sort of insights or where it comes from, or that it's actually not true, that it's really sabotaging themselves. And then eventually what you need to do is like, if, if you have seen that what the problem is about and you sort of can look at it without getting all stressed out, then the question afterwards, and this is really practical, is just what is the single smallest step someone can take to deal with it? It's like, okay, I'm fearful, uh, for instance, uh, I don't like to make sales calls, okay? But what is the smallest next step if you want to run a business to make your sales calls? And it's as simple as that. And first find out what makes it that it's fearful to you. And then the second one is just find the smallest next step 
that you can take, uh, b embrace the pain and just go through the pain in order to know to arrive in a better situation because there will be pain. There, there is suffering, and that's um, the Buddha said it like 2,500 years ago, and um, I think nothing changed in between. It's an interesting thing when you when you go on this journey, Rob, and I'm just after a, your perspective, that quite often when you start on this journey and you find success in doing it for you and your partner, you then are surrounded by people who are hamsters on the wheel, who are facing burnout, living in that corporate world. Is there a certain amount of ego that creeps into your world where you look at other people and start to compare your lifestyles and your perceived, I guess, levels of fulfilment? Because you wrote, connect with others by sharing instead of disconnecting with others by blaming, victimization or superiority. Have you found yourself in a position where you start to go through that? Were they pretty strong words, blaming, victimization, or superiority? Because of your lifestyle and you're surrounded by people who aren't in that lifestyle, have you had to deal with your own comparison trap or your own ego to not compare with others? Oh, sure. I think we always compare to others, and I think that will never cease. Uh, I think so that's basically your ego, as you mentioned. It's just to be aware of that it is happening. And at the same time, you just ask me, like, do you think your lifestyle is superior to that of others? No, it isn't. So, uh, and, and that's why I also talk about this vulnerability and wrote, uh, write these blogs about my own fears. I, I just live on an island. It doesn't matter where you live eventually. Um, I chose to work less. Some people are completely fine with working 50 hours a week. So I'm not saying that is wrong and this is right. This works for me. And the only thing that I want to look at is, okay, what is not working for you? Where are you sabotaging yourself? And how can you get into a supporting belief system to overcome that situation and to make your life and by that the life of people around you uh, better? And, and, and it's just I have a clear example on, on how you can change your life and if you just well just do it i mean it, it's it's a clear story but that doesn't imply that suddenly this is the the holy grail and then everything is okay and 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 that's also the balancing part it's it's always changing and you always need to adapt and as you were say talking about having uh truthful conversations with people that remains a challenge to me as well especially if people are close to you like okay shit this is really not working out at this point in time how can I be 100% truthful and transparent? And of course, by the practice all the time, you, you, you sort of know that it's going to work out, but each time it's still really uncomfortable to go into that conversation, right? Do you ever find yourself sitting on a rock there looking out at the beach and going, oh man, have I really done the right thing here? Should I just get, just get back in the corporate world, go back to Amsterdam, get a job, suck it up. It'd be so much easier. It'd be so much more secure. Do you ever, do you ever have that thought? Yeah, definitely. And in those moments, I think like, oh, shit, man, what am I doing here? I need to get back in the game. At the same time, I really like the surroundings, the nature, those things. Uh, but that was actually my call to action. And then I thought, OK, how can I incorporate that again? And I was like, OK, I can do leadership coaching and business coaching still from this place. 
Although other people say it's impossible to do coaching by phone or whatever, say, well, that's just not true. How can I make it work for myself? So I'm back in the game again. And right now I'm coaching people with smaller startups. Uh, I have a, one of my clients is running a, a pretty big unit of three, 400 people. Um, so in that way, I feel back in the game again. I still feel connected on what's happening. And at the same time, I, I live my, my own preferred life, so to say. And having that now, Rob, how do you measure success? So when I sit down and say, are you having the degree of success that you want for you and your family? How do you quantify or qualify success? Success is eventually a feeling of, of, of peace, I would say, that you're just happy with what you have. That's basically success. So I don't think you can really measure success with external things like having a car or a house or a good relationship. Um, eventually, success is being at peace with what is. So whether that's something good or whether it's adversity, if you can accept that as it is or accept your non-acceptance, I think that that's really the measure of success eventually. So even if you're really ill, uh, like the whole world crashes and you can still be at peace with that, I would define that as success. Having said that, I do have some external measures like, okay, I need an income that is uh, outweighing my costs because eventually I will not be happy when there is a financial crisis in my life. Uh, I need enough time to spend with my family, to do fun things, uh, see my friends. But those are, again, external measures. And eventually, in the longer term, it's really about how you perceive those things and if you're fine with that. Do you sit with your partner regularly or from time to time, whatever that period is, to ask yourselves whether you are together at peace with what is? Yeah, a lot. I think we do a lot of reflection and self-reflection as we both are quite yeah, passionate about the subject of personal development. And we've learned ourselves to communicate openly also about our own relationship and try to zoom out and look at that because, well, we see each other about seven, seven hours a day, maybe even more uh, because we have this very flexible life. So we see each other a lot. So we need to manage that relationship uh, very well as well. Coaching is an interesting one, Rob, and you are doing it remotely and as is the case with depression, you can ask people how they're going and they can put up a facade. The challenge is getting beyond the facade to what's really going on. And I'm just curious when you are coaching people and they're in different parts of the world, you're in Tenerife, they're in Amsterdam or London, wherever, how do you how do you know and qualify in your own mind that your coaching is a success when you can't really see what's going on? How do you get beyond the facade to know that Rob actually is successful as a business coach or a life coach? Eventually, I can only measure that afterwards when I receive the feedback of my clients because I could say I'm the best coach there is or I'm... But again, I think the results has to prove that. What sort of results are you looking for? Like what sort of results really float the boat for you? Because it's a bit like they say 
the big accounting firms say 70% of strategies never see the light of day. Everyone sits there, says it's great. They say their work's going well, yet seven out of 10 strategies never go anywhere. Yet all this time and money's wasted. I'm really curious, to, is there a sense of what's real and what's not real? But people could write because nobody ever publishes a bad testimonial. So I'm just curious to know, how do you really dig in? What's the sense you get? Because- People, I, I find that people pay coaches just to have an hour to tell them how good they're doing and how, how well they're doing, yet deep down they have that restlessness, they have those demons. I'm just just wondering whether there's a way that you can see through the facade or get down to what what's not just success, what's real success? Well, you can see, and if you speak to people, you can hear in their voice whether they're speaking the truth, whether they're relaxed or, or not, or whether there's a hesitation. And my role as a coach is just to ask, or if I have a video call, of course, I can see it as well. It's like, okay, what's happening now? You're telling the story, but I don't feel it. Are you sure? And my role can only be that to, to give back what I see, ask questions that people need to go deeper inside, so they will see an insight or see where there is a conflict. Or I can see, like, hey, I'm not sure, but I, I, I'm hearing you to, that you want to be more with your family. And at the same time, I'm hearing that you're having those ideas about your business to build it. And that will take you 70 hours a week. So there's a mismatch here. So what is it going to be? And you, you, you just have that much hours in a week. So this is not going to work. So how are you going to handle that? And that's basically my role as a coach. And some people don't like that, of course, because, uh, yeah. Um, but but the, I think that's actually the power of coaching. And that's my role as a coach. That's what I sign up for as well. Like also give you the bad news. Like, hey, I'm seeing here and that, this, this doesn't feel right. Are you sure? And of course, somebody can put up the facade and say, yeah, no, sure, I'll handle it. Okay. And it's interesting because, well, just to mention, uh, one of my clients, uh, she had a target of starting her own business and halfway she said, okay, it's not going to work for now. Okay. Um, so from where she wanted to go, I felt like, ah, oh, shit, this, this is really bad. But she was happy with her choice. And she said, well, the coaching really helped me because yeah, you, you got me into action. I discovered that it really took me too much of my energy uh, to do those tasks. But at least it gave me the insight that, it wasn't for me, and so now I finally made a choice. Although it wasn't what I signed up for, I am happy with the results. Okay, that's fine. And and some people said, okay, I wanna I wanna change my job, and and they, they stay in the job uh, because they find out that they need to change themselves. So other people find out that they want to change the job. I think it's always good that somebody makes a a well informed decision, and a coach can be used to to achieve that. I can't guarantee any result. I think it's stupid that coaches say, I'll, I'll, I'll bring your business to the next level. Some people just simply don't have the hard skills to do the business. So, so how can you promise people that have no business acumen or business skills that they will run a successful business? That's stupid because what you said, like the facts prove differently. Like after five years, I don't know what the stats are in Australia, 70% of the business have failed. So it's stupid to tell people that you will help uh, bring them success. And, and I, as a coach, would be like, uh, I would challenge you on those things. Are you sure that you have those skills? And if I'm not sure, then I would say, hey, this might be something that you need to look into. And you have to invest or hire somebody or delegate this because this is probably not something that is going to make you happy. And apart from that, it's a skill, a skill that you don't have. So 
don't try it. If we talk about skills, and you've mentioned a few times during the show about the learning journey you've been on, how do you curate your learnings, Rob, when you are taking in all this information, but you want to turn it from information into something that's actionable, usable, and shareable? How do you curate all the stuff you're learning? I try to distill it. So, so bring it back again to the basics. Test it, test it with other people, and then basically bring it back, okay, to simple steps that people can follow. Let, let's give an example. I've studied quite a lot now of breathing, um, through meditation, through apnea, which is uh, uh, deep diving without uh, bottles, uh, Biteco. But just for people, like or, let's call it ordinary people, um, we can change our breath just by really simple uh, breathing uh, techniques in order to become more at peace and which, of course, helps our creativity and, and makes us more energized. But we don't need five books um, to know that. You just have to experience it and then you can keep it simple. And I can explain people if they want to, like that your breath is more important than changing your diet. I mean, people are, when they are talking about their physical health, people always talk about their nutrition and exercise, but it starts with sleeping and it starts with breathing and you can make simple, small amendments in that. And then your whole physical health will follow. If you do it the wrong way around, it's just a, a, a dead end. So that's how I try to distill uh, yeah, my learnings and bring it in a simple way uh, to the people and that they can experience actually the, the, the result directly. Do you journal or do you use Evernote or do you use uh, a web clipper? Like how do you take all the notes of the things you're learning to keep and then log for use? What's your process for that? Yeah. Um, I What I always do is I, if I like a book, for instance, or uh, interesting information, I at least read it five times. So it's like to really integrate it in my system um, and I make notes and then I re revisit my notes again and then use it in my experience and then rewrite the notes again. So I keep distilling, summarizing what I learn. And then eventually for my clients, I end up with documents of, well, two pages, three pages, which I would call fundamental tools where I would say, okay, this works really nice for me. For instance, a planning tool or whatever. Try and uh, try it for yourself, and also understand that this is just a tool. So if you find something else, like you said, Clipper or Evernote, if Evernote works for you, use Evernote. Some people really don't like digital stuff; they need to write it out. Okay, so write it out in your in on paper. Other people can remember it just by visualization or making pictures of certain things. So it's you need to find your own well, your own mojo, so to say. Like what is working for you? If you were to bump into yourself five, six years ago in Amsterdam in that corporate world and that guy, that young Rob, is about to go through the journey you've just been through and they're about to embark and take the first step in changing mindset, mindset or doing it, what would you do differently? Now that you've done it, if you were starting out and you had the inkling you wanted to make a change, What's the most important thing you do differently? I suppose I would be less fearful, uh, know that it will eventually turn out right because there's eventually no wrong. 
uh, enjoy the journey more. Looking back, sometimes I thought like, wow, I could have enjoyed the process more, but there was still a lot of fear behind it. I think we're very much uh, fear-driven as, as human beings, unfortunately. Um, so it's building trust and confidence that it will be okay and it's just um, yeah, enjoy the process, enjoy the ride, which is, of course, a very difficult thing to do. How do you do that? Like It's all very well to say it. How do you, to say enjoy the ride, be less fearful, that's step into it, we've talked about that. Enjoy the ride. What does that look like, feel like? How does someone... How do we enjoy the ride? Because people people will, in, in the moment right now, will say, yes, I'm enjoying the ride. But then they look back and go, man, I wish I had it. And I just heard a, a beautiful uh, post that Neil Gaiman put up, a 2012 uh, commencement speech. It's fantastic. It's, a, it's on YouTube. It's a fantastic piece. And he talked about the fact that the greatest piece of advice he was given, he never took. And he was a writer and the piece of advice was given to him by Stephen King. And Stephen King looked at something he'd done and went, that's fantastic. Enjoy this. And he said, I should have. And he's talking to a, a room full of creatives at the University of Arts. And he said, I should have. I should have enjoyed more. I should have had more fun with this as opposed to my next, the desire, my fears and my desire to do the next piece of work. When you're talking with somebody or talking to yourself, how do we do that? Like, what does that look like in terms of the journey you've been on? How would you have enjoyed it more? What do I do now? Is We were talking just about breath work. And I think breath work is really, really important. It's, our, it's basically a remote control to our nervous system. And if we are hyperventilating, we are, we are in a flight and uh, fight uh, modus and our mind only gets more fired up. And if we have a problem, we make the problem bigger and bigger and you end up in a depression. And definitely by really focusing on your breath and making your, for instance, um, the, re the relaxation is an exhalation. I like this quote, but it's definitely true. So if you focus on that, your system really calms down. So I think that's the basis. If I feel fired up, I go back to, to the basics. I go back to my breath. I, I take a rest. I'll just say, okay, I'm not feeling great, but just take a step back. Instead of what I used to do was like step on the gas, you know, set the targets and go for it. And that only worsens the, the situation. So, okay, I don't feel well. Acknowledge it, like accept it. Use your breath and just sleep as a basis to have a, a better physical feeling. And then when your energy comes back again, you, um, you can work from that. And another exercise that I really like, and uh, you can call it prayer, whatever, uh, gratitude, and, and beginning I thought, oh, that's bullocks, that's, that's for wimps. But each day, every night, my girlfriend and I would just say, okay, what are you grateful for today? And just name at least five things. And, and don't, get into the repetition thing like oh yeah this that blah 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 no really feel it and because that's how our system works and this is not some spiritual bullshit this is just neuropsychology you fire up the right stuff and you ensure that you have a better better mojo and and, and so you can really have practical tools in order to make it better and to enjoy the things more and then just looking back and think okay i had so many fears but most of them did never materialized so Probably this will work out as well. Just take a step back, try and calm down. And then if you feel 
re-energized enough. Again, see what single small step you can take and see whether it fits your values and how you want to be as a person. So like, uh, and, and not chasing the big external things like I need to earn my second million or I want to have my third sports car. I don't think that will make people happy. That's eventually only pleasure. And that's short term. Well, Rob, we look forward to seeing with interest what happens next for you and your family. It's a lovely story. Where Where is your hub for all the stuff you do? Well, uh, we, we coined our project Zenarif, which is called, uh, which is basically Zen in Tenerife. So that's Z-E-N-E-R-I-F-E dot com, Zenarif dot com. And my leadership coaching that I offer to organizations and businesses is walkthetalk.life. So that's, that's where all the information about your coaching and the work that you and your family are doing at Tenerife called Zenerif. That's cool. Well, Rob, thank you for your time, mate. It's been a pleasure hearing the journey you've been on. Uh, how, did you, how did you find us? Because you wrote to us and said, hey, you guys like the show. Can I come on? How did you find us? Uh, I think it was through Casper. Casper. And the Merlin that you talked about is it- – yeah, yeah. Well, Casper must have said something decent or he said something crap and you said, oh, look, I'm going to give him, I gave him another shot. I gave him another go. <laughs> so, Rob, thank you for your time, mate. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, we look forward to keeping in touch with you, mate. Yeah, thank you very much for your time. Hi, I'm Maria Gronberg. I'm a climber. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro four times and summited Mount Everest this year of May. Oh man, I'm struggling through the Mojo Show. The Mojo Radio Show. I think that that is going to be a very interesting conversation for all of us to ponder upon because everybody dreams about the four-hour work week. I've never heard anybody or a show talk about the fact that you know what? There's a lot of worries and stuff that go with it. It ain't that easy. It's not just a matter of, hey, I've got a website. I'm off to the races. Funny, I think a lot of us are guided by social media and all those ads that pop up and go, hey, you know, just buy some cheap products from China and turn them around on um, on Amazon and you'll make a fortune. I think we all look at that and go, oh, it must be easy then. But when you hear stories like that, you may, it makes you realise that um, it's actually not quite as easy as they'd like to make out. And, and you see it on YouTube. You go and look at a clip and you're – your show will start in five seconds. In the meantime, it's, hey, have you ever thought about having living the perfect dream? Hey, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was working 60 hours a week and I decided uh-huh. to do this. They're all out there. Uh-huh. This is the first time that I think we've really had a look behind and we've all been through it. I mean, you work from the studio. I work as a speaker and as a consultant. We all go through this stuff, but nobody ever talks about it. It's always the, the glossy wrapping. So I think that that is an interesting premise. The other thing that's interesting is that Rob tried a number of things. What was it? Horoscopes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> you go. Oh, okay, that, yeah. that's cool. Uh, go, and then went into coaching. So I think there's a lot to take from that little bit. And what I would say, if I can draw a loop here and tie it back to potentially the greatest sport on the planet, which is darts. <laughs> Here we go, yes. I mean, The 4-Hour Workweek is a massive, massive book. New York Times bestseller, it set Tim Ferriss up for life. And we all want that idealistic lifestyle. And I think that's the first dart. And I think the second dart, as Akshay on the show last week, week before last said, mm-hmm. which I thought was a fantastic show, Akshay 
Nenavate, who wrote Theavana, he said the second dark principle from the Buddha. He's a great fan of the show. And he talked about the fact that you throw the first dart, that's the thing that starts the thinking. The second dart, you've got to pause before you throw the second dart. This show to me, when you hear Rob talk about breathing and breath work as being a powerful tool, I think also that ties into making decisions in your life to look at all the light and shade. So whatever whatever, this, whatever situation you're in, and I know you, you've started using the second dart with the, with the boys, haven't you? I have. We've talked about it a little bit. Yeah, more, more so with Jack. We were talking about schoolwork and stuff and, and he had a bit of a, also had a bit of an episode with his mum and uh, had a bit of an argument one day and it got a bit heated and I said to Jack, you, uh, you know, the first dart was, okay, you said something you shouldn't have, but then before you threw the second dart, you needed to stop and think about, okay, should I say this or shouldn't I? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the, where I've used it most recently. The Mojo Radio Show. A quick in-person shout-out that I got last week. I, last Friday, I got invited to go into DDB, one of the biggest advertising agencies mm. in Australia and around the world, mm. uh, to work on some stuff for Westpac, one of Australia's biggest banks. And I met a lovely lady called Anna Right Hands, nicknamed Lefty, uh, <laughs> who turns out said to me, are you, are you wouldn't be Robbo from the Mojo Radio Show, would you? And I said... Actually, I would. And she said, all the production team here listen to every episode that you've ever done about time management because we're always having so much trouble managing our time. So uh, there you go. We've got some fans in very high places. And they sound pretty smarter too. (laughs) They are very smart. Well, they listen to us. They've got to be smart. (laughs) (laughs) Although she should be careful after my tip at the beginning, Lefty, too. I have been watching America's Got Talent. Have you? Why? <laughs> I, like Why? Simon, I like Simon Cowell. Okay, answer and this question for me before you go on just quickly. What's the big button on the desk mean? When they push that, what does that mean? Why does it, everyone get excited? Because if you, if you get the golden buzzer, it means you go straight through to the live shows. Ah, so okay, each... Right series they might have I don't know I don't know how it is 15 people trying out one of those 15 people each judge has got one golden buzzer for the Uh, season that person goes straight through so it's quite a big deal it cuts cuts out all the the in between between bits okay there you go what I love about particularly America's Got Talent is you can have dogs magicians gymnasts singers poets comedians ventriloquists you can have any any nature of creative endeavour, someone's looking to make it and looking for a, I guess, a stepping stone to the greatest stages in the world. And that show can give it to them. And what I take from it is I'm absolutely astounded at how much talent people who are 10 years old to people who are 60-year-olds singing in a church choir, how much talent is out there which is never going to see the light of day. And it really... And, and I, I really, enjoy, I mean, I do like Simon Cowell. I think he's very intuitive. I also love the fact that somebody who can be sitting in, singing in a church choir or singing on the streets of Europe as a busker can go on and truly have a stage to show their talent and to be recognised and that can change their destiny. And all I'd say is I think a lot of our listeners have got those talents which we never have the guts or the opportunity to go and present, but you've got to f- make the opportunity happen. And number two, 
I think if we see it in somebody else, we should let them know about that and encourage them to do something with it. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, you think about Adam Lambert. You know, he's done pretty well out of that. But I, I don't <laughs> know. Pretty well out of that. <laughs> he's now fronting the greatest rock bands in history. Yeah, I know. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I watch it, and I just, it, uh, I don't know. I'm, I can't watch it. I guess is my answer to that. But yes, you're right. You're absolutely right, though. Don't get me wrong. But it's not for me. <laughs> Well, here's, here's a little piece that I want us to ponder and meditate on, so to speak. Yep. A guy comes on this show and he looks like Grizzly Adams. Now, I don't know if you remember who Grizzly Adams was. He was a mountain yeah. man that was a big, long hair, big bushy beard, and he wore the big, thick overcoat like you'd have in the mountains of Alaska. Yep. And he's sitting backstage and everybody's kind of avoiding him because he looks like a big, massive man who's come from the back blocks from the, the from the back 40. Mm. His name's Chris Kloffman and he's getting interviewed before he goes on stage and he said, my parents did not listen to me, so I'm here to make my dad proud. He goes on stage and plays this. Imagine I mean, that talent, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was just, it, it actually took the oxygen out of the whole arena. That, mm. it was just a moment that everybody went, listen to that voice who's playing on the streets. His parents never even took the time to listen to him. And he's going on that stage, not, not to become famous, but to try and finally get his parents to be proud of him. Don't you find that just heartbreaking? That's pretty sad. Yeah, absolutely. If you have to go to that extent to get your parents' attention, something went wrong somewhere, I would imagine. And the message for me goes right back to a show many seasons ago. We had a Navy SEAL on called Andrew Paul. Do you remember Andrew Paul? Of course. This is a guy who came back from serving his country as a a, a Navy SEAL and he went back to be a mortgage broker. And his, his whole story was a comeback from basically losing everything, losing his wife, losing his job. He is sitting on the floor of a house with no furniture in it with his two boys sleeping in a back room. And the following day, his house is going to be repossessed. And it was an incredible interview with Andrew Paul. And one of the things I remember him saying is when I asked him, what's the most important thing you could say to your kids? He said two things. He said, I say it every day. I love you. And I'm proud of you. And I just think that Chris Kloffman story is beautiful and it's such a great lesson for all of us in the studio and all of us listening is that if you've got kids, don't take it for granted. Let them know every single day that you love them and you're proud of them. And I, I honestly think that is just, uh, should be the top of our page every day. The Mojo Radio Show. 
So take us out. Been a good show. Covered lots of ground. Uh, I can only imagine. Get it? See, see how I tied those things together? <laughs> After six seasons, I'm starting to get this. I'm starting to get the hang of this radio thing. Uh, if, do you know what? I remember Charlie Fox telling you you were never allowed on air and now I know why. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the good old days. Uh, if you could imagine... A song to take us out with? What do you got? How about this? Last week, we talked about our good mates from the Dead Daisies, Bob John Karabi and Marco Mendoza. They have a new album out. It's an album of covers. So considering what we were just talking about, one of the tracks on the new album is uh, Credence Clearwater's Fortunate Son. So let's say maybe if you were a son and you had parents who took the time to make sure that they told you every day that they loved you and they were proud of you, you would be a fortunate son. Is that a good link or is that a bit tenuous? It's loose. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, that's exactly what our show is all about. But it's a good reason to rock. (sighs) We're out.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.